Hello and welcome to Afternoon Unified, the podcast where we'll be preparing for the imminent race war by moving to the desert and taking Beatles lyrics way too seriously. I'm Emily. And I'm Stacy, aka Moonbeam, aka Denise Katzenberg, aka Sarah B. <laughs> idea how you wanted that line reading to go so. no that was that was good um <laughs> who are we talking about emily uh well i was gonna do an episode on charles manson and then i realized you know who else has done an episode about charles manson everybody every true crime podcast <laughs> all of them so also but- as as we've discussed in previous episodes charles manson is a stupid gremlin yeah don't worry i'll i i do have a, a little bit about that whole thing just for people who aren't like super familiar i hate to admit this but this is one of the episodes where like my brain is one of my sources oh yeah that sounds about right that's very on brand for you so yeah behind every career criminal acid gremlin who mostly <laughs> indirectly led to the deaths of nine people there is a harem of women who just wanted to fit in and have the aforementioned gremlin love them so we're gonna talk about some of the Manson girls. The Manson family, I believe, had like 50 plus members over the two years that they were active. Kind of yeah, coming in and out, I imagine. They came in and out and like, it was very fluid, right. which I guess is like the nature of that kind of, of quote unquote cult. More or less, yeah. It was more of a collective, in my opinion, which leads me to this episode is not a defense of anybody. I want to make that clear. Um, my thesis here is literally that Charles Manson and his followers were not cold calculating murderous psychopaths like prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi would have you believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were just a bunch of dumb fucking hippies who were too like who were on too much acid to think of a better way to cover up a mostly accidental murder. That tr- that tracks for me <laughs> in what I know about the story. Yeah. Um. Charles Manson was just a fucking two bit like crazy ass little criminal he wasn't a mastermind he was making shit up as he went along because he liked he liked having the girls around he liked the way that they were living he wanted to be a rock star like that was his whole motivation Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean everything that he said he pretty much just made up i mean obviously but yeah yeah. just total nonsense he didn't actually believe in helter skelter i think is the the base here right didn't it come out later that that was basically, like, spun as... It was either part of the defense or something he told the girls to get them to do. It you was, might be getting into this later, but... Yeah, it was something that he told the family to get them to go out to a different ranch in the desert uh, where he wanted to live. Um, yeah, yeah, he he made up the whole race war thing, um, and it got blown out of proportion by an event that I'll talk about a little bit later. Right. So this is about the ladies, so Tex, Bobby, Clem... Uh, Steven, whatever. I'm not going to talk about them. The other hangers on. Attacks will get brought up a lot, and so will Bobby, just because they were, like, in... They did a bunch of shit. But I'm not going to, like, do bios for them. They did some crimes. They did a number of crimes. Uh, Yeah, so I'm also only going to cover some of the ladies who, for lack of a better term, did something worth mentioning. Because there were a (laughs) lot of girls who just, like, hung out and did a bunch of acid and... Maybe committed some light credit card fraud. Right. Maybe didn't murder people in their homes. That was actually only three of them. Hmm. Yeah. But there were others who did other crimes. So uh, we're going to start with my sources. 
Wikipedia. Um, huge shout out to the last podcast on the left series about Charles Manson, um, which is just about Charlie. I'm but sure it is comprehensive. It is three parts. And I mean, it's one of their older episodes. So like, keep that in mind. But it really helps me like over the years to understand like Charles' whole fucking thing, like how he right. is just a little like gremlin criminal and not a big mastermind <laughs> and stuff. Um, so thank you, Marcus Parks. <laughs> Again. Um, Also, a story from Time called Charles Manson's Own Story of Why the Manson Family Killed, which is a really good article um, written by or based off an interview of the last person to interview Charles Manson. Hmm. Uh, Because Charles did die last year at, like, age 84 or some shit. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, he was like a little cockroach. Like, he stuck through. Yeah. Um, and then a website called celiodrive.com, which is, I'm not going to say a fan site. It is a very comprehensive site outlining all of the Manson family members, all of the victims of the Tate LaBianca murders, um, and all of that stuff. Cool. A- and an article from Rolling Stone called Manson Family, Where Are They Now? So I can't wait to find out. So we're going to start with kind of a refresher, and then we're going to go into... Um, Basically, member by member, just doing their whole story. Cool. That sounds awesome. For some, it's longer than others. Squeaky. (laughs) Oh, boy. Squeaky. Yeah. I don't want to say squeaky is my favorite because I (laughs) I don't want to have a favorite, like, criminal, but, like, squeaky is pretty (laughs) fun. Squeaky. Squeaky's done some shit. Squeaky hasn't killed anybody, I think, is the important thing to remember. (laughs) Not for lack of trying. Anyway, so... Notorious career criminal and gremlin Charles Manson amassed a number of followers over the course of two years between 1967 and 1969, maybe a couple past 1969, which is insane to think about, but... That's also, like, a shorter period than I know. you would think, yeah, given like, just... And this was mostly due to his quote-unquote teachings that pulled from Christianity, Scientology, and just him being a fucking maniac. <laughs> uh and he also had a tendency towards commune living, which people found appealing at that time, and the fun and free hippie lifestyle, because this is still the late 60s. And, I mean, as we know, Manson... It's still is, cool to just go out to a farm somewhere and yeah, get and high. And Manson is pretty much the reason that the hippie lifestyle, like, died off in 1969. Yeah. This is his fault. It's, it's bad PR. Let's it's kind of like how John Lennon it. dying just kind of killed the 70s. <laughs> Yeah. So they had some wacky adventures, like traveling around in a Volkswagen van, babysitting the kids of actor Al Lewis, who played Grandpa from the Munsters, and is also a well-known Ted Cruz impersonator. What? Have you seen Grandpa from the Munsters? Not, I don't, I can't, like, conjure a picture in my brain. Um, This might break you. Oh, no. I also know I'm not the first person to draw this comparison. We'll put a picture of Al Lewis up on the Instagram. This is going to be the cover image. (laughs) Oh, boy. I hate it. Yeah, looks like Ted Cruz. Or Ted Cruz looks like him. I mean, Grandpa Munster looks like he has a soul. Which is weird because he's a vampire. And isn't made of pudding. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so they babysat Al Lewis's kids. Um, They met Dennis Wilson from the Beach Boys. (laughs) Almost recorded an album twice and lived on a movie ranch in Los Angeles called Spawn's Movie Ranch. What is what do you mean by movie ranch? Uh, it's a ranch that they use to film westerns and stuff. Gotcha. Um, if anyone has seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which 
I know. I would recommend. It's not an accurate story of Charles Manson, but it is a better one. <laughs> I, I, I say I wouldn't necessarily call Quentin Tarantino a historical filmmaker. No, uh, it took me till the end of the movie to be like, oh, it's a fairy tale. So, um, but like when uh, Brad Pitt drives out with the, the hippie ladies and they go to the ranch and yeah, it's like they shot movies there because Westerns gotcha. were a huge fucking thing in the 60s. Right. Lived on a movie ranch, did a ton of LSD, sang songs, and believe Manson was Jesus reincarnated. A point which he did not actually believe himself, but also didn't correct anybody on. I mean, would you? No. I mean, if people want to believe I'm Jesus, I'll they can go right ahead. This is definitely like a Heaven's Gate level cult where like the leaders like this will be fun. Oh, oh shit! No. <laughs> well, now I'm in it. <laughs> Uh, so it wasn't like a Jonestown thing where, like, Jim Jones had very specific goals or an Om Shinrikyo where he also had very specific goals. It's just some bumbling idiot who's like, yeah, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> this sounds like fun. Good way to pass the time. It's the 60s. Nothing else is happening. So all of these good times came to a screaming halt in the summer of 1969 after a series of crimes that primarily consisted of murder and attempted murder. So the kickoff here was the shooting of a black drug dealer named Bernard Lotsapapa Crow. That's a name. Uh, whom family member Tex Watson had defrauded out of about two grand in a bid to follow Manson's orders to get money for the family to finance their move to the ranch in the desert and prepare for the quote-unquote race war. Um, Crow retaliated by threatening everyone at Spawn Ranch, where the family was living at the time. Uh, in the end, Tex had to call for backup, and there was a confrontation, and Manson shot, but did not kill uh, Crow. Uh, though his acid brain and later news reports of a murdered Black Panther member led him to believe that he had murdered this man and also that he was a Black Panther. This consequently made him insanely paranoid. Oh, boy. A paranoia which he passed on to the rest of the family. So now he is worried because he thinks he killed a Black Panther and he's passed this paranoia on to all of the literal children, <laughs> like the 16 to 19 to like 22 year olds that are living with him. And yeah, this is, let's just stop here for a second. This is a good point to make. Remember how stupid you were from ages 16 to 22? Yeah, I want to say that the majority of the Manson family was born um, in the late 40s. Yikes. And yep. at this time, Manson is 35 years old. Disgusting. He has Continue. spent over half of his life in prison. So, yeah, he thinks that he, he murdered a Black Panther. So he has everybody up in arms. Um, this is where Helter Skelter kind of really comes in, quote unquote, because the White Album had just been released mm -hmm. and he's using, well, Sadie and Tex are listening to the songs a lot and like finding meanings in it. And then Manson's like, yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bad improv. So the first actual murder committed by the family came in July of 1969 when Bobby Busole, Busole? Fuck. I've read it a million times. I think it's Bobby Busole. Go with your heart, Emily. Uh, yep, I will go with my heart. So Bobby, accompanied by Susan Atkins and Mary Brunner, stabbed masculine dealer and uh, proclaimed nice guy Gary <laughs> Hinman to death over an argument over a bad batch of drugs that the Mansons had sold to a group of bikers. Um, Bobby wrote Political Piggy on the wall in blood and later told the police after he'd been arrested for the crime that he had seen the two men who killed Hinman and, th and that they were black. Uh, Mary Br uh, Brunner said that Bobby had also drawn a black cat paw print on the wall to suggest that the Black Panthers had been responsible for the crime. No one believed this. 
So did they go into the crime trying to frame the Black Panthers? Um, Or was it just like the argument was completely unrelated? But So what happened with the Hanman murder is that uh, Bobby went over to like kind of deal with this because they had sold drugs that uh, Hinman had made to these bikers. The, ba- the batch was bad. Right. Uh, and the bikers were like pissed and wanted their money back. So the man, uh, Bobby went to go get the money back and he didn't have the drugs to give back to Hinman so he could like check it out. So Bobby called Manson uh, for backup. And Manson showed up with what was described as a homemade katana, uh, <laughs> cut cut Hinman's ear off, was like, deal with this, and then left. And then uh, Mary uh, Bruner sewed his ear back on, and then they like hung out for a little while. And oh then I guess God. Hinman got into another argument with Bobby. Bobby stabbed him. And then he was like, well, shit. And I, they had known about Manson, uh, quote unquote, killing a Black Panther. So, yeah, like, they were trying to kickstart this race war that Manson said was going to happen. Well, they're just losers. <laughs> if that's comprehensive at all, like, that's kind of what happened. I'll get into some more details about the Hinman murder later, but um, that's where we started. So now there are two crimes, one murder deep, and we're still trying to dig out of that hole. So Manson either ordered or strongly suggested to Susan Atkins and Tex Watson that they should try to do another crime that looked like the previous one in order to take suspicion off of Bobby, who had been arrested for the crime. Right. Because if another crime happens when Bobby is in prison, it wasn't Bobby. Mm-hmm. So that's how Susan Atkins, Tex Watson, Patricia, Tom Holland, Krenwinkel, and Linda Kasabian. <laughs> Patricia Krenwinkel just looks like fucking Tom Holland in a wig. Like, I can't. Uh, they ended up at Sharon Tate's house on August 8th, 1969, where they murdered Sharon Tate, Jay Sebring, Abigail Folger of the Folger Coffee dynasty. Big name. Wojtek Frykowski and Stephen Parent. Ugh. Also, uh, the bodies of Sharon Tate and co. were discovered on August 9th, 1969, which was the day that the Haunted Mansion opened in Disneyland. <laughs> it's all coming full circle, Emily. Soon, like, we'll, we'll truly understand who you are as a person. I did not realize that that connection was there until this year when I was like, ooh, Haunted Mansion. Oh, no, that's also today. <laughs> Uh, that being said, I do not believe Sharon Tate is currently haunting Disneyland's Haunted Mansion, but I will have to go investigate. So when the police failed to connect this to the Hinman murder, despite them trying to dress it up a little bit like that, which mm-hmm. I will also talk about later, um, the the crew from the, the Tate murders, plus Steve Grogan and Leslie Van Houten, headed out again on August 10th, uh, Manson accompanying them this time, and they went to the home of grocery store owner Leno uh, LaBianca, where he lived with his wife, Rosemary. Uh, Manson allegedly tied up the couple and then bounced, leaving the others to murder them, while he dropped the rest of the crew off at a an apartment complex to commit another crime, which ended up not happening, um, which we'll talk about a little bit later. So, do you get into, like, why they picked these places specifically? Like, I know he had some connection to the LaBianca Not specifically. Um, like, he had been there before when they were previous owners or something? That's actually why what happened with the, the Tate house. Okay. Um, oh, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's uh, what I meant. Because record producer Terry Melcher used to live there, and Terry Melcher is the one that uh, Manson was working with. And I think he also owed him some money for some recording that he had done. Right. Um, and there was a point when Manson went to uh, Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski's house, uh, thinking it was Terry's, realized that they weren't there anymore, and then 
like left. So he had been there before, even though he didn't accompany the group on the night of. Mm-hmm. It's thought that he told uh, Susan Atkins, like, go somewhere like where Terry used to live. So, gotcha. yeah. Um, I I actually don't know specifically why they picked the LaBianca house. Yeah. That just seems unfortunate. Bad luck, I would say. For yeah. So the over the, the next couple months, between August and October, both ranches where the Manson family lived were raided on unrelated charges. Um, I want to say vehicle theft for both. And, I mean, there's just a bunch of fucking hippies living there. And- yeah, I mean, they were looking for an excuse to, to do that anyways. Yeah. And actually, the raid on Spawn Ranch was thought to be because one of the stuntmen who also lived at the ranch but was unrelated to the Mansons uh, snitched on them for having stolen vehicles because he was uh, sick of their shit. Um, <laughs> but that also resulted in Tex, Manson, and Clem driving him out to the middle of nowhere and killing him. Cool guys. Yeah, but that was after all of the big murders. So a couple months later, when they were arrested, uh, Susan Atkins bragged to her cellmate about the murders and all hell broke loose. <laughs> She was brought in, so this was, she got arrested because of the vehicle theft stuff. Yes. So she was in prison for that. She bragged to her cellmate. And then, (sighs) yeah, so the police had suspicion. And then a bunch of the girls who, like, had heard the the murder group talking about it were like, oh, fuck, and started talking to the cops. Yeah. Because they were like, I didn't sign up for this shit. (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, Bobby's girlfriend, uh, Kitty Lutzinger, had a big part in bringing them down. All right, so let's get into some bios now that we kind of have an overview of what happened. We're going to start with Mary Bruner, a.k.a. Mother Mary, Mary Manson, Mary Ochi, Linda D. Moser, Christian Marie Utes, and Och. Och? Och. I think it's short for Mary Ochi. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Uh, so Mary was the first Manson girl. Like, she like was literally, the, literally the first one. The original. Uh, so she was born in Wisconsin in December 1943. <laughs> of course she was. Wisconsin, like, we have to be kind of nice to Wisconsin right now. Sorry, you're fine, Wisconsin. They did us a solid. Barely. Yeah, I don't think we warned people at the top of this episode when we were recording it. <laughs> oh, let's, yeah, just as a quick disclaimer, it is Wednesday, November 4th, 2020. I'll leave it at that. Continue, Emily. <laughs> Um, as I was telling you earlier, we did an episode about Colts the day after the election last time. <laughs> Huzzah! It's this a theme. Is, this is a little less traumatizing, though. Okay. So, Mary was born in Wisconsin in December of 1943. Uh, she attended the University of Wisconsin, got her degree in history, and had, uh, headed out to UCLA Berkeley, where she got a job as a librarian. It's such 19- a wholesome upbringing. I know. You'll see a lot of that. Like, there are a couple of the girls that had, like, super shitty lives, but, um, you know, there were a couple where it's like, her parents were very nice, and she was a good Christian girl. But I can also see, like, I can see, like, going down the route that your parents expected you to while not necessarily wanting to do that and having to rebel so... Well, that's the thing. That's how we get, like, these different generational waves of, like, change, because you have... You know, the people who were raised in the the 50s by, like, people who are wild in the 30s and 40s, and they're super square. And then they um, raise kids who grow up to be teenagers in the 60s who are rebelling against their super square parents by doing a ton of acid and, like, all of that. And then you have the kids of those people. um, So, you know, kids that were grownups in, what, like, the 80s? And they're, again, super square and, like, baby boomers. 
Yeah, why do you think we're all Democrats now? Exactly, because we're seeing another round of it. But this time, we're all just mad at the people who were adults in the 80s, and we're like, fuck you! And it's beautiful. But that's how that happens. Like, everyone is just rebelling against their fucking parents in the opposite way that their parents rebelled against. Yep. People are very (laughs) stupid. Um, So, in 1967, she met a very fresh out of prison Charles Manson and took him in. Oh, dear. Um, And I guess it took, like, two weeks before they started, like, hooking up. Did she just find him on the street? Where? How does I don't know. <laughs> I think, like, they just ran into each other at, like, a bar or something. Like, maybe he was playing guitar for money at a bar uh-huh, she was at. And probably. He's... I don't want to say he's very charming, but... Charismatic? Yeah. Uh, charismatic in, in a way that would appeal to, like, a certain kind of person. Uh, I've heard him described as, like, having that... This is going to sound really bad, but having that, like, Bill Clinton vibe... Where, when he's talking to you, it feels like you were the only person there. Yeah. But he just had, like, you know, some acid on top of it. (laughs) And, like, having met Bill Clinton myself, totally a fucking thing. Yep. I have never been so enchanted by a man. (laughs) What I'm saying is I don't blame Monica Lewinsky in the slightest. No one should. So after a while, uh, Brunner quit her job and hit the road with Charlie, and the Manson family was born. Yay! Not long after meeting Manson, Mary became pregnant, and on April 15th, 1986, 1966. Yeah, that sounds more right. (laughs) Nope, because they met in 1967. I meant in 1968. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. So, April 15th, 1968, Valentine Michael Pooh Bear Manson was born in a condemned house in Topanga Canyon, California. An auspicious beginning and an auspicious name. Rumor has it that Manson bit through the umbilical cord himself. He w- he fucking would. <laughs> uh, yeah, something I didn't realize before this was just how many, like, children there were. God, I think I knew this but have, like, forgotten about it, but ugh. And, Aren't they, like, in- basically all entirely anonymous now? Like, they've all changed their names. And- Wouldn't you? I mean, yeah, but ugh, Aduva. Well, and again, like, you have to remember, like, Mary was, like, she wasn't of age she was like 22 so like that checks out but like a couple of the girls later are like you know 18 19 mm-hmm. um so on april 21st that same year six days after Pooh bear was born okay. uh brunner and family member and uh, manson family member susan atkins ella joe bailey diane elizabeth lake laura uh, nancy laura Pittman, bruce van hall marcus john arnson and suzanne scott were arrested near little sycamore canyon in Ventura County, California. They were found sprawled nude around a campfire inside a 1952 bus stuck in a ditch uh, that had been reported stolen on April 12th. What a party. Uh, Brunner was booked on endangering the life and health of a child after Valentine was found by deputies improperly dressed and shivering. Ugh. The baby was placed in the care of a local hospital uh, until charges against Brunner were later tr- uh, reduced to contributing to the delinquency of a minor and she was given two years probation and a 15-day suspended jail sentence. Uh, She had told authorities that she planned to return to her parents' home in Wisconsin, and Valentine was returned to her. Hmm. I'm guessing she didn't. (laughs) No. Uh, As previously mentioned, Brunner was present at the murder of Gary Hinman, allegedly taking turns with Susan Atkins, smothering him with a pillow after he had been stabbed by Bobby. That's Um, not, like, a nice way to kill someone. (laughs) No. There is I mean, no there's nice... no nice ways to kill anybody, but, like, oh, like, ugh, you really gotta be, 
you know what you're doing when you're doing it. Short of surrounding Gary Hinman with his beloved friends and family and like slowly euthanizing him. (laughs) Um, So on the day of the Tate murders, Brunner and another family member, Sandra Day, were arrested for using a stolen credit card at Sears after I'm pretty sure Charlie told them to go buy presents for the family to calm them down after uh, Bobby Bissolet's arrest. Uh, As a result, she was not involved in the murders, but the fact that she and Sandy had been arrested did kind of push Manson a little more towards, hey, uh, Sadie, go kill these people. Yeah. While she was not involved in the murders, on August 21st, 1971, after Manson was already tucked away in prison, a police department responded to a silent alarm set off at... (laughs) at a Western Surplus supply store in Hawthorne, California. The police arrived in time to catch six family members, including Mary, in the middle of an armed robbery. Christ. After a brief shootout, the family members were detained. The group had stolen close to 150 guns, which they intended, well, which they said they intended to use in a plot to hijack a 747, in which they would kill one passenger every hour until Manson and the rest of the family were released from prison. That's a lot of guns. (laughs) See, that's the thing. So family member uh, Curly, who I will bring up later, uh, he had fallen in with the Aryan Brotherhood in prison. Mm. And Yeah, that happened. Yeah. Um, he either escaped or was released. And uh, people think that this might have just been a cover for him doing a job for the uh, Brotherhood. Yeah. So for her part in the Hawthorne shootout, Mary served six and a half years at the California Institute for Women, while Pooh Bear went to live with her parents. Mary has since took on an assumed name and last reported to was last reported to be living in the Midwest, probably down the block from Sarah, where all of those weird cult members live. <laughs> I mean, she's definitely just hiding out in St. Paul somewhere, like all the She's weirdos. probably in Wisconsin, like yeah, Eau Claire probably. or some shit. That's the OG Manson girl. Next up is Lynette Squeaky Frome. Oh, boy. A.K.A. Squeaky, A.K.A. Red, A.K.A. Elizabeth Elaine Williamson. They had a lot of fake IDs. I don't think Red was on a fake ID. That's a name that was given to her later, but... Right. Like, I'm guessing Squeaky also probably not on a driver's license somewhere. No. Um, Again, I don't want to say Squeaky is my favorite. She's kind of fun. She's very uh, eclectic. Uh, Yeah, she's eccentric, I think. She's got a... She's a very interesting character. She's got a way about her. She's also one of the only Manson girls who's actually cute. Like, I know everyone's like, ooh, cute hippie chicks. No. Have you seen Susan Atkins? There were a lot of mustaches in the Manson family. Born in Santa Monica, California, Lynette Lynette Frome grew up in Westchester, California, where her father worked as an aeronautical engineer. Uh, She was the first of three children and was a talented, well-liked child that toured through the United States and Canada in a song and dance troupe called the Westchester Lariats. Wow. I think they played the Lawrence Welk show. Uh, in her drama class, Lynette befriended Phil Hartman of SNL and being murdered oh. by his cokehead wife fame. Yeah. May he rest in peace. R. And R. when her class gave out superlatives, Lynette was voted personality plus, which just sounds like miscongeniality for high schoolers. But yeah, what do I know? I was only voted best sense of humor. So <laughs> very nice little subtle break there. <laughs> yeah, it was not a close race. Also in high school, Lynette became more rebellious using drugs and alcohol. She worked in a canvas shop where co-workers would see her burn herself with lit cigarettes and shoot staples into her forearm. Oh, boy. Uh, After school, Lynette bounced around living with different people, uh, and it was in this time that she met Charles Manson on Venice Beach. Impressed by Manson, she quickly decided to leave Los Angeles and travel with Charlie and Mary Brunner. So Lynette was kind of the second Manson girl. 
According to Tex Watson, Lynette was one of Charlie's favorite family members. At Spawn Ranch, Frome spent most of her time taking care of the 80-year-old blind owner, George Spawn, taking care of, in quotation marks. I was to say, that sounds very charitable for... Nope. She just wanted to sleep in the house with a bathroom. You know what? I'll give it to her. That's... I would do that, too. <laughs> You'd give hand jobs to an 80-year-old blind man so you could sleep in the cabin with a bathroom? <laughs> no, you said take care of... <laughs> yeah, I said in quotation marks. Oh, I missed the quotation marks. No, I would not do that. <laughs> I would not be on the Manson Ranch to begin with. Let's be let's be very honest with ourselves. <laughs> I have to live there with them. You can't even get me camping. Do you think I'm going to go live yeah, on some movies camping? <laughs> it's like a no thanks. Lynette would make squeak like noises when George ran his hand up her leg. So he dubbed her squeaky and the legend was born. Uh, Lynette was arrested with the family following the murder spree, but was released because she didn't do anything. <laughs> Was she at any of the murders or just... No. Okay. She was just hanging out on the ranch, like, singing and doing acid. I don't think uh, Charlie Giving thought... jobs to 80-year-olds. Yeah. I don't think Charlie thought that she had murder in her heart like the others. Gotcha. To be fair, Charlie also did not have murder in his heart. He just had go murder in his heart. Uh, uh, during the Tate LaBianca murder trial, Lynette was frequently arrested. The charges ranged from contempt of court, loitering, trespassing on county property, uh, attempted murder for an LSD-laced hamburger plot. I mean, that's very on brand. Yeah. So the the Manson girls, the ones that weren't arrested, would go to the courthouse every day and like sing and make a spectacle of themselves and... Um, that was going to be my question. Was like, was she one of the ones doing all of that nonsense? Oh, yeah. No, she was one of the... She believed in Charlie. Uh, she might even still. Like, she was in it. Uh, she loved him. So in order to keep uh, family member Barbara Hoyt from uh, testifying, a couple of the family members arranged to have Barbara flown to Hawaii for vacation with one of the other family members. Uh, not squeaky. And when they got there, the family member that had gone with them spiked Barbara Hoyt's hamburger with 10 tabs of LSD. Holy mother of God. Yeah, that's too much. Yeah, don't do that. It was way too much. Um, So Barbara, like, freaked out, was running around Hawaii. All the while, the other member bounced, went back to L.A. Um, And as a result, Barbara, like, when she came down and her mom came and picked her up, she was like, I am fucking testifying. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So after Manson was convicted, Squeaky moved to San Francisco to be closer to San Quentin. Oh, squeaky. I know. In September of 1972, she was arrested in connection with the murders of James and Renee Willett. Um, and authorities soon found that she wasn't actually involved with the murders, and but the charges weren't dropped until they found the actual suspect. That's... It's not good police work. No, but uh, I can her, see their reasoning, I guess. Upon her release, she was immediately arrested again by LAPD for allegedly Jesus. robbing a 7-Eleven. At the trial... Her accuser, a 17-year-old 7-Eleven employee, admitted that the robber did not have the X scar on her forehead like Squeaky did. That's something you would notice, I feel like. Yeah. Um, And she had given that scar to herself during Manson's trial as a form of protest after uh, Manson was denied the ability to represent himself due to submitting, um, I think it was described as outlandish pre-trial motions. (laughs) I was going to say being a banana pants crazy man. Exactly. So like he carved an X into his forehead. The Manson girls did it. It was a whole fucking thing. Was it because my image is like the everyone having the swastika on their heads. Did that come later? Uh, Swastika was not like that. Charlie is the only one who has that. Oh, that was because in prison, 
he had to protect his tiny little ass, so he fell in with the Aryan Brotherhood. As you do. Yeah, so the swastika was to, like, prove his allegiance. Gotcha. Did he, like, just modify the axe that was on his head? <laughs> yeah, I think so. But, like, Squeaky and the other girls, they they didn't have it. Yeah. Uh, and the, Anyway, so this 17-year-old was like, yeah, it didn't have the scar. Um, the charges were not dropped, again, until another woman was arrested and confessed to the crime. That is a little shit. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, sure, Squeaky was fucking insane and probably committed credit card fraud and, like took a bunch of acid but like shouldn't do anything wrong yeah this is why she followed charles manson these are people who just wanted to be accepted and like not you know picked on mm-hmm. yeah so while living in sacramento where she had moved to be closer to the new prison that charlie was at which is Folsom, because charlie got moved around and lynette followed him um lynette and sandra good uh one of the other manson girls became more preoccupied with saving the environment So it was around this time that Charlie started to talk about the Order of the Rainbow, which is his own religion. I do not have specific details on that. That seemed like a rabbit hole that I did not want to go down. Is this stuff he would, like, try and preach from prison? Yes. Because he still had followers in prison. Mm, Yeah. Um, So it was his own religion in which Lynette and Sandra would be nuns. Each of the Manson girls was given a color. Lynette was dubbed red and was given the duty of saving the Redwoods. Um... So Lynette and Sandra started the International People's Court of Retribution, a fictitious terrorist group that would assassinate executives and CEOs of companies that polluted the earth. The two sent out hundreds of threatening letters that claimed that there were thousands of members of the terrorist group just waiting to kill. That is... Wow. Yes. So while trying to get the local news to report on the damage being done to the Redwoods from logging, Lynette was informed that the President of the United States, Gerald Ford, was coming to town. On September 5th, 1975, Lynette headed down to Capitol Park with a loaded Colt 45 pistol strapped to her leg. When the President came walking down the path, Lynette pulled out her gun. She tried firing it. It did not go off. Immediately, Secret Service agents wrestled her to the ground and the President escaped untouched. If I remember correctly, was Gerald Ford the one that fell down a lot? <laughs> yeah. Okay. At least according to uh, the Animaniacs. <laughs> that's that's where I get most of my information about the my, president. My overwhelming um, media perception of Gerald Ford is, because of course, like, I, I was a kid, so. Uh, you weren't alive? Well, like, when this, like, when I was watching, like, how people talked about okay. previous Gerald Ford. Yeah. I don't know, whatever. There's a Simpsons episode where George H.W. Bush moves in across the street and he and Homer become rivals for a while. (laughs) I don't know why I'm going into the whole episode, but at the end, like, Bush moves out and Gerald Ford moves in and he and Homer get along really well. (laughs) And it's just like Gerald Ford, like, hello, Homer, do you like football? Uh, Just for everyone's, like, reference, uh, Animaniacs is on Hulu. Mm, Noted. Yeah. It's it holds up. I mean, maybe it's because I like grew up in the '90s, so like I still get some of it. Because like I watched a ton of like Who's Line and Animaniacs, and like I love the '90s and I love the '80s and stuff. So I may not have been like cognizant, but I remember it. It's weird. Anyway, so so Gerald Ford not assassinated despite her best efforts. Um, at her trial, Squeaky followed Manson's example and chose to represent herself. I'm sure that went just fine. Her presence in the courtroom was short-lived. Uh, when Lynette lectured about the Redwoods and other environmental concerns, the judge had her removed from the courtroom for not sticking to the case, and she was returned to her jail cell, where she spent most of the trial watching from closed-circuit televisions. <laughs> I mean, her heart's 
I'm not going to say her heart's in the right place. Like, the Redwoods are important. That's an important issue to I wouldn't to kill a for. president over it. No, I don't think that's going to be an effective uh, strategy. It's like those people that fake Bigfoot evidence because they want people to believe in Bigfoot. Like, she was going to shoot the president to draw attention to her environmental cause, which is not how you get that attention, Lynette. Mm-mm. No, I feel like when you try and assassinate the president, that's where the attention goes. Yeah. So in November of 1975, a jury convicted her of attempted assassination of the president of the United States. Upon sentencing, she threw an apple at the prosecutor's head and she was then sentenced to life. I don't know where she got the apple. I don't know who's bringing snacks into the courtroom. So Squeaky was sent away to the Alderson Federal Corrections Institute in West Virginia. Um, I don't know why in West Virginia. Is that just where you go if you commit a president crime? Um, I'm guessing... Because it happened in California. Yeah, but it, assassinating the president would be a federal crime or attempting to assassinate the president. So you'd go to probably any number of federal prisons, and that's probably just the one she ended up at. Yeah. In March of 1979, Squeaky attacked a Croatian nationalist named Julianne Busick with the claw end of a hammer and got what 15 months added to her sentence. Jail is rough, Sarah. Yeah, I couldn't do it. On December 23rd, 1987, she heard that Manson was dying of cancer and escaped from Alderson. She was picked up two days later, having traveled only a few miles. Uh, Squeaky then bounced around the prison system from Lexington to Mariana, Florida, and finally to the Federal Medical Center, Carswell, near Fort Worth. And she remained there until her release on August 16th, 2009. Wow. Squeaky is free. I was alive I don't remember this. Yeah, she seemed to be pretty quiet after she escaped in 87, but... So do we know what she's doing now? No. I think she's just kind of... She may have, like, given up on the Manson thing. I mean, my condolences to her last year. If she still hadn't given up on the Manson thing, that must have been really rough. Um, She also wasn't allowed to see Charlie because she creeped the guards out. (laughs) Yeah. All right. We've only got about five more Manson girls to go, but Squeaky was the longest one, so. Yeah, I say, I'm guessing they're not all squeaky length stories. No. Uh, so next up is Catherine Cher, a.k.a. Gypsy, a.k.a. Man and Manette, Kathleen Diane Shore, Catherine Ann James, and Jessica. <laughs> I wish I could have, like, eight different names and just change based on my mood. I mean, I gave them to you at the beginning of the episode. <laughs> I don't want to be Diane Kurtzenberger. Katzenberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, I'm just going to slap a quick uh, suicide trigger warning for the next, like, paragraph. Just, you know, hold on to your butts or skip, like, a minute, I guess. Um, so Catherine Cher was born in Paris, France on December 10th, 1942, making her the oldest Manson girl. Uh, her Hungarian father and German mother were both members of the French underground and died by suicide during the war. Catherine was put into an orphanage where she stayed until she was eight, and she was adopted by an American couple, a blind psychologist and his wife, and moved to California. That is an interesting start to your life. Oh, just wait. When Catherine was in high school, her adopted mother was diagnosed with cancer and also died by suicide. Catherine... Jesus! (laughs) I know. I know. Uh, Catherine stayed and took care of her father until he remarried. After graduating from Hollywood High School, she went to college, stayed there for three years, got married, and shortly after, divorced. She bounced around California, working in both both the film and music industries. And I will say this with the caveat of she's a terrible person. Beautiful singing voice. She records some records? Yeah, I can't remember the name she recorded them under, but, like, she has a really nice voice. It's kind of like, not like, like Nancy Sinatra-y. Hmm, does sound nice. Actually, uh... 
all the members of the, well, not all of them. I don't know. Like, there might be some who couldn't carry a tune. But most of the members of the Manson family had, like, pretty good voices. Like, they were, Charles Manson's music is not bad. Do you really want to be on record saying that? Charles Manson's music is not bad for someone who took part in, like, nine murders. (laughs) I mean, because that's all they did. They, like, sang and did acid. Yeah, I mean, what else you gotta do? I mean, there were record producers who were genuinely, like, interested in them. But they just couldn't be produced worth a goddamn, but... Yeah, no, I can't imagine they were uh, easy to work with. Anyway, so if you were skipping, you can stop here. Um, On the set of a softcore porn entitled Ramrodder, Catherine met Bobby Busolet. Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) Just shifting different gear. Uh, She began living with him and his wife, Gail, traveling with the couple for about eight months before deciding to go live with Manson at Spawn Ranch. So on the ranch, she became known as Gypsy. And like I said, was the oldest female member who recruited new members, including Linda Kasabian and Leslie Van Houten. Uh, During the... She didn't commit any of the murders. Like, she was just, like, hanging out with Squeaky, fucking around, you know? Yeah. Uh, So during the trials, Gypsy visited Linda Kasabian and encouraged her to lie about her whereabouts on the night of the Tate murders. She also helped convince Barbara Hoyt to go with Ruth Ann Morehouse to Hawaii. Ooh, yeah. So she was in on that. Yeah, that was her and, you know, Squeaky and... Not great. Not great. No. No, it's not cool. (laughs) Uh, Don't don't convince your friend to go to Hawaii and then lace her hamburger with... 10 doses of LSD. That's not so much nice. LSD. Uh, on January 5th, 1971, Gypsy gave birth to a baby boy that she named Phoenix. I could not fucking tell you who the father is. Not Manson? Maybe Bobby? Maybe Bobby? Maybe like maybe any of the guys at the ranch? Uh, I mean, we not yeah, Tex kind of got taken out. Bobby was still in prison, question mark? Who the fuck knows? Yeah. Not important, anyways. Um... <laughs> So during the penalty phase of the Tate LaBianca murder trial, Gypsy testified that the murders were Linda Kasabian's idea and that Linda, Sadie, and Leslie had committed the Hinman murder. Way to throw Linda under the fucking bus. Um, This all happened, according to her testimony, because Linda was in love with Bobby and wanted to commit copycat killings so the police would think Bobby was innocent. Which is technically what happened, but it wasn't Linda. Yeah, I doubt that was her idea. No, we'll find out in a little bit that Linda, like... Very minimal participation in all of this. Linda was wrong place, wrong time. Mm. Um, on August 21st, 1971, Catherine was also involved in the Hawthorne shootout. Uh, Gypsy fired the first shot, and by the end of the shootout, she had been shot three times. Uh, this landed her in prison for three and a half years. Uh, she was sent to the California Institute for Women, where the other Manson girls were also serving their sentences. You'd think they'd want to split them up a little bit. You'd think. <laughs> So while there, Gypsy Mar- and Mary Brenner, together with a group of Aryan Brotherhood members, conspired to break out of prison using a pair of wire cutters, but they were caught at the last minute. Uh, Gypsy had fallen in love with a Manson family member named Kenneth Como, but stopped talking to him after Manson told her not to. Uh, Como was also in love with Gypsy, but obviously angered with Manson for that whole thing. Yeah, that's kind of rude. So he assaulted Charles in the prison yard. Uh, soon after, Como convinced Gypsy to forget about Charlie and the two got married. Uh, Gypsy eventually divorced Como in 1981. I'm assuming this is the, that happened after prison. I'm like, how are you? Well, here's the thing. I thought dating. I thought that they got married before the Hawthorne shootout, but I don't know. The timeline that I thought and the timeline that uh, yeah. my source presented were different. So yeah. the, the fact is she married this guy and divorced him, so... Gotcha. Uh, in the late 70s or early 80s, Gypsy was indicted and convicted on a range of federal charges for her part in a credit card scam. Uh, she served a number of years and somewhere down the line became a born-again Christian. 
Oh, that took a turn. Yep. Uh, she married a man named Patrick Shanahan, a prisoner termed informant. And because of this, it has been rumored she was put into the witness protection program. Ah, uh-huh, so she's off the grid. Yeah, for the most part. Less. I hear that she's like living a quote unquote clean life and writing a book. I would read that. Honestly. I assume 59 minutes or however long after I edit this into the episode, everyone wants to hear about the girls who actually, I don't know, committed murders. Did the crimes. Did the crimes. Here you go. I'm going to start with the worst one. Uh, Susan Atkins, a.k.a. Sadie Mae Glutz, Sexy Sadie, Donna K. Powell, and Sharon King. Those are all names I call R. Sadie. Sadie Mae Glutz? (laughs) Yep. I'm going to start using that one. It bothers me that Susan Atkins got the nickname Sexy Sadie. <laughs> I'm going to send you a picture of Susan Atkins. I'm I'm a little afraid of her. Like, she looks like a girl that would uh, tease you in high school, even though she has no room to be saying jack shit. Oh, yeah. I mean, she looks 14, which is the problem. She was born in uh, 1948. So, yeah. Um, that was my only issue with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is that they made all the Manson girls too cute. Yeah, I mean, that's Hollywood for you. I mean, Leslie Van Houten was the appropriate amount of cute. They got that girl from uh, Hill House. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, Susan Denise Atkins was born in California, uh, May 7th, 1948. Her mother died of cancer when she was still in her teens. Uh, Susan dropped out of school and moved to San Francisco, where she got a job as a telemarketer for a company that sold magazine subscriptions. She eventually a very respectable job. Yes. Uh, she eventually quit her telemarketing job and started waiting ta- tables at a local coffee shop. And it was there that she met a couple of escaped convicts and decided to travel with them. That's... I don't understand why people make these decisions. Uh, the three committed several armed robberies up and down the West Coast and were eventually caught in Oregon. The men were sent to prison and Susan got probo- probation after she served three months in jail. When she was released, she came back to San Francisco and found work as a topless dancer uh, and even danced in a show called The Witch's Sabbath, organized by Church of Satan founder Anton LaVey. Oh, yeah. That guy. (laughs) That guy. Everything's connected. Uh, After quitting her job there, I don't know why that sounds like a dope-ass job. Yeah. uh, Susan met Charles Manson. Her experiences with him had a profound effect on her, and she decided to leave San Francisco to travel with the family to Los Angeles. When the family got fake IDs, Manson gave her the name Sadie Glutz. I'm sure she was very flattered. (laughs) Uh, Sadie seemed to enjoy going on the, quote, creepy crawler missions. Dressed in black, family members would sneak into random houses at night while people were sleeping. Inside, they would creep around, rearrange things, as well as steal. I hate that. Right? That's is almost it's not worse than the murders but no psychologically it's worse than the murders Uh, sadie's demand for attention often put her in conflict with charles manson she was reportedly kicked out of the family for a while and was often blamed for getting the family contracted with the clap i mean you can't really blame any one person on that i think the group was arrested after giving lsd to a group of local kids and at their trial they were nicknamed the witches of mendocino Christ. In October 1968, Sadie gave birth to a baby boy who she named Zizozasi Zadfrak. Um, sorry, say that again? Zizozasi Zadfrak. How do you spell that? Z-E-Z-O-Z-E-C-E-E-Z-A-D-F-R-A-C-K. I That's think a name. He was adopted out and renamed Phil. <laughs> Oh, boy. In 1969, Susan was... Um, sorry. Oh, sorry. Oh, Just no, one please. last thing on Phil. Are we assuming this was also one of Charlie's kids? Um, I want to say that he had a different father, but okay. again, who the fuck knows? Was, they were all kind of into the free love thing, right? So... Yeah, I want to say that um, Squeaky was the only one that only slept with Charles and uh, the um, 
the blind guy that owned the ranch. Right. Squeaky was very special. Uh, So in 1969, Susan was present at both the Hinman and Tate murders. Uh, Susan, Mary Broner, and Bobby Busselet took turns smothering Gary Hinman with a pillow. Uh, Weeks later, Atkins took part in the CLU Drive murders of Sharon Tate and co. Um, She stabbed uh, Wojcik Frykowski in the legs about four times and helped Tex Watson kill Sharon Tate. On the way out of the house, she wrote pig on the front door in Sharon Tate's blood. When the family was rounded up in Death Valley, Kitty Lutzinger implicated Susan in the Hinman murder. Uh, While in jail, Susan bragged about the Tate murders to her cellmates, who later told the police. And uh, six family members, including Atkins, were indicted on Tate LaBianca murders. So she the one who originally started running her mouth then? Yeah. Okay. Like when they got arrested um, at the ranch in the desert in October of 69, uh, Kitty Lutzinger was like, hey, I think she has something to do with the... (laughs) Hanman murder um because i'm i think kitty was bobby's girlfriend okay although bobby was married to a lady named gail so i mean like like we said i need like a pepe sylvia board just to keep all of these (laughs) in track um uh susan ran her mouth in prison and got all of them in trouble good (laughs) way to go sadie way to go sadie indeed During the trial, she was going to be the prosecution's star witness, hoping to avoid the death penalty. But before the trial started, Susan took back everything she told the grand jury and renewed her loyalty to Manson. So she also had the X on her forehead. Cool. After a nine-month trial, Susan was convicted of seven counts of first-degree murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. In March of 1971, she and her co-defendants were sentenced to death. Uh, Susan was sent to the California Institute for Women, where both Leslie Van Houten and Patricia Krenwinkel... Uh, shunned her for snitching on the family. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, meanwhile, a doctor adopted Susan's son and changed his name to Paul. Sorry, not Phil. Oh, Paul. In the mid-70s, family member Bruce Davis turned Susan on to Jesus. I don't know why that gives me the same reaction as she was converted, <laughs> that she was recruited into the Manson family. <laughs> uh, Atkins claimed that Jesus came to her in her cell and she became a born-again Christian. In 1977, the year before her first parole hearing, Susan wrote an autobiography with a man uh, named Bob Slosser called Child of Satan, Child of God. Yeah, I know. Since her incarceration in 1971, Susan had only received four minor write-ups. And in 1981, she married a Texan named Donald Lee Lazier. Uh, She corresponded with Lazier for years, but he had lied to her the whole time. Lazier, who had been previously married 35 times. What? How? He claimed How do you to meet that many people? I can't. I don't know 35 people. In his God letters, he claimed Lord. to be a millionaire, which he wasn't. And when Susan found out three months after their marriage, she filed for divorce. This is somehow the worst person in this story. I hate this guy. <laughs> uh, she married again in 1987, this time to a man named James W. Whitehouse, a law student 15 years her junior. Uh, yike. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Throughout the years, Susan kept herself busy with her own prison ministry, as well as completing associate's degree through correspondence courses. In March of 2008, Susan was diagnosed with brain cancer and requested a, quote, compassionate release, but was denied by the California Board of Parole Hearings. She passed away on September 24th, 2009. Uh, Her and Charles are the only Manson family member, like, big Manson family members that have uh, died. Yeah. Let's move on to Patricia Krenwinkel, a.k.a. Katie, Big Patty, Marnie Reeves, Mary Ann Scott, Catherine Patricia Smith, and Tom Holland, probably. (laughs) I'm just thinking about Big Patty. (laughs) I call her Patricia in my notes, but I might just call her Big Patty. Big Patty. That's a great name. Uh, So Patricia Diane Krenwinkel was born on December 3rd, 1947 in Los Angeles. Her parents divorced when she was 17. 
Uh, she stayed in California with her father, and after high school, she moved to Alabama to live with her mother and attended Catholic college. She taught Sunday school in the past and had thought about becoming a nun. Probably would have worked out a little bit better. Yeah, maybe. After only one semester, Patty had had enough and dropped out. She moved back to California, where she moved with, in with her half-sister and got a job as a processing clerk. I don't know what a processing clerk is. It's a clerk who processes things, I'm pretty sure. DMV. Yeah. Uh, in September of 67, she met Squeaky, Mary, and Charles on Manhattan Beach, and after sleeping with Charlie, Patricia decided to go with him and the girls to San Francisco, leaving behind her car and her final paycheck. I mean, take both. You need them. Now, it's... I don't like Big Patty. However, when she was in high school, I guess she was teased um, for being overweight and also having a like a hormonal issue that gave her a, quote, excess of body hair. And she said that when she slept with Charlie, it was the first time that she had felt, like, beautiful. So I get it. Ugh. I mean, yeah. That one's rough. I mean, that's exactly what people like Charlie Manson try and prey on is people's insecurities. Exactly. And, and like, uh, Susan Atkins, like, her father was an alcoholic. Her mom had died, like, you know, and Squeaky was having some issues. Like, it, it all makes sense. Yeah. Like, you're looking for someone to accept you. Like, I don't absolve them of, like, making the choices that they made because you... He didn't brainwash them. He wasn't that smart. But yeah. it just sucks that the person that made them feel special was this tiny little maniac. Yeah, it's too bad that they couldn't have found someone more worthy of that. Correct. Like, Jesus. <laughs> Technically, Patty had Jesus, so. <laughs> so Patty helped take care of the family's children, and in the summer of 68, she and Ella Bailey were hitchhiking in L.A. when Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson picked them up. Dennis <sighs> Wilson was the member of the Beach Boys, I think, who contributed the least. Yeah, I... I know nothing about the Beach Boys. He just, the fact that he was so involved, or not necessarily involved, but just like keeps popping up, makes me think he was probably a pretty big loser. Well, Dennis just liked to party. Like his brother Brian was the one that had all of the talent. Did all the songwriting. Um, and- so yeah, they, uh, Dennis just kind of fucked off and like did acid and hung out with people. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. When you look at a picture of the Beach Boys, you don't immediately think like, oh, these people did a ton of drugs. (laughs) All right. So Wilson invited them to stay at his Sunset Boulevard mansion while he went to a recording studio. When he came back hours later, Charlie and the others were there. And so began the relationship between Wilson and the Manson family. Yikes. Uh, Later that same year, Krenwinkel was arrested for possession of marijuana and giving LSD to use in Mendocino. Uh, she was very involved in the Tate LaBianca murders. At the Tate house, she wrestled and chased Abigail Folger, eventually pinning her down on the lawn, um, where she stabbed her repeatedly. Ugh. According to Patricia, Abigail pled for her to stop stabbing her by saying, I'm already dead. Oh, my God. According to police, she stabbed Folger so many times that they thought that Abigail's white nightgown was red. That's like be- the worst thing I've ever heard in any of the episodes I think we've ever recorded. <laughs> Yeah. Oof, yeah. Uh, the following night, Patricia joined the others at the LaBianca home. It was there that she helped Tex and Leslie Van Houten kill Rosemary LaBianca. Although most of the reports state that Patty was the one who carved the word war into Leno LaBianca's stomach, Tex Watson claims that he was the one who actually did it, and I do believe that. Yeah. Uh, Tex Watson was just a raging lunatic. I guess a couple weeks before all of the murders happened, someone was making belladonna tea, which you're only supposed to have a tiny bit of, and he just grabbed the belladonna root and, like, ate it. So, Doesn't yeah. that kill you? <laughs> Would have been better if it had. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, Tex was a broken man. Ugh. Like, one of the people who had had the, the tea, like, a normal amount, like, weeks later, she said that she was still having blackouts. Good lord. Um, so, however, it is agreed that Patty did write Death to Pigs, Rise, and Healter Skelter, 
in Leno LaBianca's blood in various places inside the home. Apparently, no one taught her how to spell the name of Helter 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 Skelter Skelter properly. One might venture to say it was all the acid she was on. (laughs) I was going to say, I mean, it's not, you can kind of sound it out fanatically. (laughs) So Patty was arrested with the family in both the August 16th raid on Spawn Ranch and the October 10th raid at Barker Ranch. Uh, The latter, her father bailed her out of jail and she went to go live with her mother in Alabama, which probably not a great idea to leave the state when you're whatever no uh so big patty was indicted on december 2nd 1969 for seven counts of first degree murder and one conspiracy to commit murder she was arrested and extradited back to california where she would stand trial with the others she was convicted on all counts and sentenced to death it should be noted that in 72 the supreme court briefly abolished the death penalty and all death sentences were commuted to life imprisonment yeah and it's like and even today like california has the death sentence but it never actually executes anybody yeah it's almost like we should just get rid of it entirely you don't think so uh so today big patty has a perfect prison record uh through correspondence classes she has received a bachelor's in human services she is active with many prison programs such as alcoholics anonymous narcotics anonymous and one where she helps other prisoners learn how to read patty writes both poetry music plays guitar and is apparently very athletic playing volleyball as well as giving dance lessons. She still stabbed Abigail Folger like 25 times, but, you know. Yeah. Is she the one that's been so vocal in um, getting parole? I feel like there, there's at least one member that, like, comes up every couple of as years. As far as I know, Patricia Krenwinkel is the longest-serving female inmate in the California penal system, so she has been up for parole a lot. But I yeah. think it was Susan Atkins that really wanted to be paroled. Okay. Uh, probably on account of the brain cancer. Oh, no, no. This is, like, more recent than Susan. Oh, so then, I think yeah, it's probably... Was- it was probably or Patty. someone else, but yeah. yeah. It was either Patty or Leslie Van Houten. Either or, both, maybe. Yeah. Uh, so the next up is Linda Kasabian, a.k.a. Linda Christian, Yana the Witch, and Linda Chiochios. Yana the Witch. That's Good a dope name. name. And I can say that because Linda's almost a chill person. Almost. almost. Uh, so Linda Kasabian was born Linda Droin, uh, sure, on June 21st, 1949 in Biddeford, Maine. Uh, her parents divorced and remarried when Linda was still young. I assume they remarried other people. <laughs> That's how I would interpret that, yes. Uh, so at the age of 16, Linda dropped out of high school and got married and soon after divorced. Uh, Linda married again, this time to a hippie named Robert Kasabian. The two traveled the country, and in March of 1968, they had their first child, Tanya, which means she was 19. Yep. I mean, I know it was the 60s, but still so young. Uh, So however, problems between uh, Linda and Bob led Linda and Tanya back to New Hampshire. In an effort to reconcile their marriage, Bob talked Linda into coming out to California, where he was living in Topanga Canyon with a man named Charles Melton. It was through Melton that Linda first met the Manson family, uh, specifically Catherine Cher. When things didn't work out with Bob, Linda decided to go back with Gypsy to Spawn Ranch after a day at the ranch, Linda returned to Topanga, to Topanga Canyon, retrieved her belongings, stole $5,000 from Melton, and joined the family. On August 8, 1969, Linda was selected to drive to the Tate residence because she had the only valid driver's license. I, I mean, I guess if you're really trying not to get caught and you don't want to take any risks, but one, they don't seem that smart. Two, who gives a shit? You're gonna go murder some folks. She had been a member of the Manson family for like a month Yikes. at this point. Um, so she witnessed Tex Watson shoot and kill Stephen Parent when he was trying to exit the Tate property. Stephen Parent didn't know any of the other victims. He was there talking to, like, the caretaker. Yeah, he was, it was literally like he stopped 
took complete wrong place, wrong time. Oh, yeah. Just like stopped by to talk to a friend. And as he was leaving, the exactly. family pulled up. Yeah. Um, Linda was instructed to go back to the front gate and stand guard while the others went into the residence. As Linda heard people screaming for the live, she ran to the main house. At the front door, she ran into a stabbed and beaten Wojcik Frykowski. Horrified, Linda looked at him in the eye and said, sorry, just before he collapsed. Is she from the Midwest? She's from New Hampshire. Oh. (laughs) It just seems like something a Minnesotan would say. I think the only one from the Midwest was Mary. Well, the only one that we've covered. Right. Uh, On the following day, Linda Kasabian once again drove the family around Los Angeles, finally dropping text Katie or Sadie. No, not Sadie. Patty, who's also called Katie. Yeah. uh, And Leslie off at the La Bianca residence. After that, Manson dropped Linda, Sadie, and Clem off at a Venice Beach apartment complex. The three were instructed to kill an actor that had once picked Linda up when she was hitchhiking. Linda purposefully brought Sadie and Clem to the wrong door. Linda wanted none of this. Yeah. On August 11th, Manson instructed Linda to bring a message to the jailed Sandra Good, Mary Brunner, and Bobby Busolet. Xavier saw it as an opportunity to flee the ranch without Tanya, her daughter. Um, hmm? She drove straight to New Mexico where her husband was living with another woman. Linda explained what had happened and said that she couldn't have brought Tanya because it would have looked too suspicious. Uh, Bob Kasabian went back to the ranch to get his daughter, but Linda was too afraid. After making a call to the ranch, Linda learned that Tanya had been placed in foster care after the August 16th raid. And after talking to a social worker, Linda returned to Los Angeles and eventually got her daughter back. From there, Linda and Tanya flew back to New Mexico, only to hitchhike all the way to her father's home in Florida and finally back to her mother in New Hampshire. That's a lot of travel, right? On December 2nd, Linda was indicted for the Tate-LaBianca murders. She turned state's evidence and received immunity in exchange for her testimony, which was the most damaging to the family. Remember how Catherine Cher tried to blame everything on Linda? Oh, yeah. In March of 1970, Kasabian gave birth to a baby boy, which she named Angel. I assume it was Bob's. That seems logical. Uh, Linda took the witness stand in a series of trials and retrials, and her testimony helped convict Charles, Tex, Susan, Patty, Leslie, and Charlie. Uh, After the trials, Linda escaped the public eye going back to New Hampshire, where she was reported to be living, or no, she went back to New Hampshire. She was last reported to be living with Tanya in Washington State. A car accident left Minda, Minda, Jesus, left Linda mildly disabled and unable to work. And in late 1996, Linda and one of her daughters was arrested in a police raid, which uncovered some drugs and a gun. Oof. Linda's daughter, nicknamed Lady Dangerous, don't know why, uh, was arrested for possession of a controlled substance, both rock and powder cocaine, and was sentenced to a year in state prison. Linda, who was found possessing methamphetamine, avoided a jail sentence by attending drug counseling classes. What a life, right? All right. I saved the hottest one for last. Relatively speaking, or? No, actually, um, Leslie Van Houten was really pretty. I don't like saying that because she, you know, murdered some people, but she was uh, played by Victoria Pedretti from Hill House. In the, uh, right. Um, I'll have pictures of all of these guys up. I think Leslie Van Houten was the most recent Manson girl up for parole. It was denied. Yeah, they usually are. Unless you're squeaky. All right. So Leslie Van Houten, a.k.a. Lulu, Leslie Marie Sangston, Leslie Sue, Leslie Owens, Luella Maxwell, Alexandria, and Morningflower. All great names. Yeah. It's better than, what is it, Sadie Mae Glutz. Glutz. That's... Ugh. Actually, uh, Big Patty Pick had one of my... any name in the world. <laughs> Big Patty had one of my favorite. No, it was. It was Sadie Mae Glutz, and I was like, mmm, delicious. 
All right. So Leslie Louise Van Houten was born August 23rd, 1949 in Los Angeles. She and her older brother grew up in a normal middle-class household, and in 1963, Leslie's parents divorced. A lot of divorce. Yeah, I mean... I don't know. My parents divorced when I was in high school. It and turned out fine. I think, though, definitely, like, if you're not... Don't deal with that kind of... Like, it can be very traumatic. I think plenty of people, obviously, have divorced parents that turn out fine, but... Yeah. Uh, so... Meanwhile, Leslie began attending high school where she was twice elected homecoming queen. Uh, like many at the time, she discovered hallucinogenic drugs, drifted away from extracurriculars, and shortly after got pregnant and had an abortion, which not a big deal. Thank you. Nope. This was pre-Roe v. Wade, though. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, not that that doesn't change the moral. No, people are always going to get but, abortions. Yeah, it's, that's kind of hard. Just make it safe and legal. Hmm. So after graduating in 1967, Leslie moved in with her father and began attending a business college studying to become a legal secretary. Man, Charles Manson derailed so many nice, boring jobs. <laughs> uh, in the summer of 1968, Leslie was visiting friends in San Francisco where she met Catherine Cher, Bobby Busolet, and his wife, Gail. She began traveling with them, and in September, they took her to meet Charles Manson. Uh, she returned to the ranch three weeks later for good. Yeah, so she hadn't been a member of the family for very long. Yeah, jeez. Um, so according to Van Houten, uh, I was absolutely intrigued and mesmerized by Manson, and I believe that he was someone very special and extraordinary. It's the LSD talking, sweetheart. Was that believe or believed past tense? Believed. Okay. I think she's one that was like, Charles Manson ruined me. Gotcha. Uh, so Leslie went along with the others on the night of the LaBianca murders because she wanted to prove herself, especially to Big Patty, who she looked up to. <laughs> I just really like the name Big Patty. It's a good strong name. Uh, for a good strong woman. <laughs> Patricia Krenwinkel was a fucking tank. Uh, at the LaBianca residence, Leslie helped Patty and Tex kill Rosemary. Afterwards, Leslie wiped the house down for fingerprints, changed clothes, and eventually hitchhiked back to Spawn Ranch. If I remember correctly, she also wiped down a bunch of stuff that they didn't even touch drugs huzzah uh leslie was arrested with the family at both of the raids uh during police questioning she revealed that susan atkins was involved with the gary hinman murder the linda kasabian susan atkins and patricia were at the tate residence on the night of the murders and that linda was the one that didn't kill anyone very solid looking out for linda uh leslie's behavior at the tate labianca murder trial ranged from strange to uncooperative both both terms you want to be described as during your trial for murder. She and the other girls sang on their way to court and on Charles Harley's orders dismissed a series of public defenders. Because she wasn't involved with the Tate murders, Leslie's lawyers tried, unsuccess tried unsuccessfully to separate her from the other defendants. To be fair, she only killed one person. Only. She was eventually convicted on two counts of first degree murder and one count conspir conspiracy to commit murder um, and was sentenced to death. I, I don't think she actually killed Leno LaBianca, but since she was there... No. I think, yeah, generally, like, if you... Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in 1972, her death sentence was commuted to life uh, during the whole outlawing the death penalty thing. Uh, because her attorney, Ronald Hughes, who some believe to be murdered by the Manson family, had disappeared in the middle of the first trial, Leslie Yikes. was granted a second trial. The trial started in January of 1977 and ended with a deadlock jury in September. Since she had long since disassociated herself from Manson and was a different person from the first trial... Not banana pants crazy. Yeah. Uh, between her second and third trial, she was out on bail for about six months, during which she lived with a friend and worked on her case. In March of 1978, her third trial started, and this time she was convicted and sentenced to life. Uh, 
So later, Leslie had a jailhouse marriage to a guy named Bill, a former prisoner that she had corresponded with. However, the marriage came to a quick end when it was found that he was planning to break her out of prison. (sighs) That never works well. No. I like how it ended because he was planning on breaking her out of prison. (laughs) Uh, So through correspondence courses, Leslie received a bachelor's in English literature. Uh, She has been active with both Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous. She briefly edited a prison newspaper and has been active with programs to teach others how to read. Other prisoners how to read. So I guess she's hanging out with Big Patty (laughs) still. Uh, Yeah, they're in the same prison, right? Mm, Yeah, I think so. Hmm. Which, I, I mean... Must be a little tense because I'm pretty sure she flipped on Patty. Yeah, yeah. Patty seems like she's probably gotten over it though. <laughs> yeah, Patty, I think, is also born again Christian or yeah. a reborn again Christian. An hour and a half later, that's some of the Manson girls. That was so much better than talking about fucking Charles Manson for an hour and a half. Yeah, his thing is pretty much born, went to prison a bunch, and started story. a cult. Yeah, murders. I hesitate to even call it a cult. Yeah, it's. It feels like, because, like, none of them were ever, like, forced to be on the ranch. Like, there isn't that kind of, like, you're one of us now and you're always going to be one of us sort of exactly. feel. Yeah. Like, um, the, it, it generally feels to me like they were free to come and go. Yeah, because I think, like, Tex was living in Los Angeles, not even on the ranch. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not a healthy group dynamic. No. Let's let's not go that far. But. Charles Manson's <laughs> definitely at fault, and, like, he deserved everything he got. But yeah. it was, again, like, Heaven's Gate, where they were, like, you can leave whenever you want to anyway that's what i got i didn't have a mental breakdown this time good job we made it so if you have any requests for other manson family member bios uh if you have a favorite manson girl like emily does i do not have a favorite manson girl i'm just saying squeaky is a woman out of time she's fun in a weird way she's fun like freddy krueger's fun That's a, yeah, that's a good comparison. Let's leave it at that. Anyway, so we are on Twitter at Afternoonified, uh, Instagram at Afternoonified, get Afternoonified.com where you can um, listen to old episodes, you can shop merch. Uh, those proceeds are still going to Black Lives Matter. Correct. Yes. Um, RIP Midge Midge 2020 shirt. You missed your chance, guys. You missed it. Uh, stay tuned for Teresa Teresa 2024. <laughs> Let's see. Remember to rate, subscribe, review. Love those reviews. Yes, Love them. They're the best. And um, yeah, we'll see you later. Uh, we're coming up on our winter hiatus. Uh, we got some minis and what, two episodes I think left? There's at least, yeah, one one more episode before our holiday special. Which is not going to be as cool as last year's holiday special because nothing is. Don't get your hopes up. We are I, never topping that. No. Ever. Uh, I did not have the mental capacity to adapt, record, sound design, and edit a uh, Charles Dickens novel so no that's that's before times written all over it (laughs) anyway all right guys goodbye goodbye we love you i'm gonna need you all to roll plus charm to do the ad That's a five. I got a ten. Eight. All right, Travis. Buddy can manage to get out the name of the show, but not much else. Monster Pod. Sadie. Jimmy's going to be able to get out the premise, but you didn't roll high enough for any spoilers. Monster Pod is a real play Monster of the Week podcast where four government-employed idiots try to save the world. Sarah. Thomason rolled high enough to finish the ad. Releases every other Friday here on So Below Media. 
For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is as above, so below.